Ray Maliazzi here. I don't cook much, but when I need ingredients for my car, eBay Motors has 122 million options. So whether I toasted my transmission or cooked my clutch, eBay Motors has all the right parts at the right prices. eBay Motors, let's ride. Radio. Welcome to the Coco Express Network. Talk radio that informs. Talk radio that inspires. Talk radio that enlightens. Talk radio for us all. Hi, this is Andrea Haritos. And I am a real estate agent with Keller Williams Realty. I am currently teaming up with a wonderful realtor by the name of Sharon Homer Hamilton. And we are proud to be doing this venture together, bringing to you the audience, Real Estate Real Talk. So check us out on Facebook. Again, that page is Real Estate Real Talk. So today, I will be introducing to you a great friend of mine, Tracy Baiki and she is with Fairway Independent Mortgage. Our concentration today is going to be on mortgages, but more or less talking about FHA mortgages and the process on how a buyer can actually obtain a mortgage and what it is they need to do. So, Tracy, are you on the air with us now? I am. Hi, Andrea. How are you, hon? So Great. can you give us? A little bio about yourself, like how you got into the mortgage business, and just give us who you are as a loan officer. Oh, goodness. Well, I got in the business 18 years ago, back when I lived in uh, Ohio. I've been in the Delaware, PA, Maryland area for the last 14 years. And I actually just started with Fairway in January, and I love it here best company I've ever worked for. Okay. That's good to know. So mortgages are more or less your primary business. It's what you do nine to five every day, weekends, the whole kit and caboodle. Yes, it's my only business, and I love it. All right, so let's start off with some of the questions here. So can you give us a brief explanation on the different type of mortgages that are available to most buyers? Like what mortgages are actually out there that buyers are acquiring now? There are a lot of different types of mortgages, but the basic mortgages that are out there are the FHA, which we're going to talk about, I know, a lot more in a little bit. Um, There's conventional mortgages, um, and those, Loan those require they have a little bit higher qualifications attached to them, a little bit higher credit score required, um, typically a little bit more money down. Although there are some programs that allow for only three percent down conventionally, Um, there are USDA loans, also called rural housing loans, um, and those are not available to all buyers. Um, Those are for houses that are located in a rural area, and there's a map um, that you can go to and put the property address in and see if that property qualifies for a rural housing loan. 
And then the buyer also has to meet certain qualifications for that. Um, they have to be under a certain income limit, et cetera. Um, there's also VA loans for our veterans out there. So if you're in the any of the armed services, National Guard, um, you may qualify for a VA loan, and those are great loans. Both the VA and the USDA allow for a zero down payment, so that's why we like those so much. Right. All right, so today's concentration is going to be more or less on FHA loans. So in focusing on FHA loans, what does FHA stand for? <laughs> well, it doesn't stand for first-time home buyers. Um, it stands exactly. for Federal Housing Administration. So it's a government program. The government insures the, the loan for the lender. And anyone can use it. You don't have to be a first-time home buyer to utilize that program. Okay. So they don't have to be a first-time home buyer, but what is required? Like what, what, are the, what are the rates for FHA loans right now? What are the credit scores that are needed? So let me go back to the, the first question. Currently, if you're buying a house and you're going FHA, what would the rate be today, and what would be the percentage that they would have to put down with using an FHA loan to buy a house? Good question. Um, the down payment, the, the minimum down payment is 3.5% of whatever the purchase price is. Um, FHA does have um, specific loan amounts for each county, maximum loan amounts, depending on the county that you live in in the state that you live in. So not all, for example, in Delaware, the maximum loan amount for Newcastle County would be 379.5. That's not the maximum purchase price, but if you're buying higher than that, you have to make sure that your loan amount does not exceed 379,500. If you just cross over the line into Kent County, the maximum loan amount there drops almost over 100,000. And the maximum uh -huh. loan amount there is two seventy one fifty. So it's a big difference um, if you're looking at houses, let's say in Middletown, which is in Newcastle County, and you just skip over the the line into Kent County over to Smyrna, and now you're looking at a different price point. Got you. So how are the rates? Do the rates change weekly, daily, monthly? If someone actually put in an offer today let's say, and the rate was 4%, and they were trying to purchase a home six months from now, would they still receive that 4% interest rate? Also a very good question. The answer to that is yes and no. Um, we do allow, if they're buying new construction or if they're, you know, their contract is an extended one for whatever reason, we do have extended rate options. But you pay extra the longer the rate is, is extended for. So typically, most people like to lock when they're within 60 days of their settlement date because they don't have to pay any extra for that lock. It's not an extended lock. And today's 60-day quote, if you were buying a house today and closing 60 days from now and you had decent credit, I looked today and it was 3.5% on an FHA loan. Really? And if you're using... Um, a special program through Delaware State Housing Authority, you could get as low as three and a quarter percent today. 
Wow. So you have to actually lock into your rate, and when they're locking into their rate, is there a fee to do that? No, there's no fee to do that, but the rate is tied to the actual property address. So you do have to be under contract. So, for example, if I did a pre-approval for one of your buyers today and I said, oh, you know, lucky you, today's rate is 3.5%, and I based the pre-approval on that and I sent them a generic estimate for a home that they may qualify based on a 3.5% rate, if they don't find a home necessarily today and maybe, uh, you know, three weeks from now or a month from now, they come back and say, hey, we found a home I want to lock into that 3.5% rate, that rate is not guaranteed. They're floating their rate. That's the term that we use. It's not locked, it's floating. So rates actually can change on a daily basis. They can change on an hourly basis if the market is very volatile. And by the market, I mean the stock and the bond market. What's happening out there in Wall Street can affect the rates. And if it's a very crazy day on Wall Street, Sometimes we'll get rate changes, you know, once or twice or even three times in the same day. And other times the rate might stay the same for days, weeks, a month and not change. It just depends. Gotcha. So credit scores, this is the the biggest thing that, you know, clients will come to me and I'll let me know what their credit scores are, good or bad. But in order to obtain an FHA loan, where does their credit need to be in order for them to actually move forward? Well, it's different depending on what type of program they're using because you can have an FHA loan, but you can use a special program with that FHA loan, like, for example, the Delaware State Housing Authority program. And Mm -hmm. to use that program, they have a higher credit score requirement than they do just to do a regular FHA loan and not use the program. So, With Fairway Independent Mortgage, we go down to a 620 credit score for FHA. Um, But if they're using the Delaware State Housing Authority program or pretty much any special bond program in any state, it's the same requirements because the same lender buys all the bond programs across the, the country. So they have set their standard a little bit higher for FHA, and they set it at 660. So if they want to use a first-time home buyer program that offers down payment assistance, they would have to have a 660 credit score. But if not, then they could actually get into a property with possibly a 620 credit score, including all the other variables that are included with you actually doing an actual pre-approval then upon doing a commitment. That's correct. It's not all just about a credit score, even though it seems like everybody emphasizes the scoring because you have to at least meet the score before we can look at other factors. Um, But, yes, we can do a loan down to a 620 credit score, and we don't have any other extra overlays, so they don't have to have extra um, requirements for that. Now, there are some companies out there, I will tell you, that will go down to a 580 credit score for FHA. I think that's the lowest I've ever seen. Um, they will have some additional overlays, which means extra requirements um, that they'll, extra stipulations, extra requirements that they will request from the borrowers or buyers who want to, who have credit scores that are a 580 
between a 620 and a 580, there's some extra requirements. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> it does because I'll, I'll, at various times, I will receive the comment, you know, how the friend or the aunt or the cousin purchased a home with a different lender, their credit score was a 580, you know, and they were able to buy a house at whatever sales price, and here it is, the person that I'm working with, credit score is at a 620, but they're struggling to move forward with purchasing a home. But I try to explain and let the lender do their job, but just let them know that there are several other factors that are involved in buying a house. It's just not that credit score. And because you might not know what the debt ratio was, you know, what their income was, and you might know, they might know their income, but they might not have all the factors. So a sidebar question that I'm going to throw out there, debt to income ratio. So when someone goes online and they use the mortgage calculator and they're putting in their income and they're putting in small amounts of information and then they pull up how it is they can purchase a home based on Mr. Computer and not the actual loan officer, how can we educate the client to know the loan officer has all the information you need, we need to go to the loan officer and explain to them what the debt-to-income ratio actually means? There, there are so many um, great, fun, informative apps out there and places that you can go to, sites on the Internet. But in my opinion, it's always best to talk directly with the loan officer. I mean, I, I have a website and I tell my clients, you know, if you need to fill out an application online and you don't have time to talk to me, it's fine. You can go on there. But I still require them to have a conversation with me regardless. It's always better if I talk to the client and get their income information and if we actually run credit and get their correct debt. Because debt-to-income ratio is basically we're looking at your overall gross monthly income, and there's certain um, – a percentage of that gross monthly income, so your pre-tax income, not what you bring home, but your actual pre-tax. Um, and we have calculations for the different loan programs. They all have different ratio requirements or allowances. So we calculate how much they're able to afford based on their gross monthly income, and then we subtract out the debts that they already have, like their car payments, their minimal payments on credit cards, student loans, et cetera. And what a lot of people don't realize is maybe they have a student loan right now that is in deferment, but it's only going to be deferred for a short period of time, maybe another six months. There's a lot of programs out there that will still require us to calculate what the payment will be on the student loan and count that in their debt-to-income ratios. And if they're playing around online, they may not realize oh, I need to count a minimum payment for my student loan, and they may not know what the calculation is for that. Or they have gotten a credit card or they've purchased an appliance maybe at Home Depot or someplace that does the, you know, so many days same as cash and they don't have a minimum payment that they have to pay. We still have to calculate that. So all of those factors are needed come time of you doing a pre-approval. So what's the difference between a pre-qualification and an actual pre-approval for those who will receive either? But which one is the better, the pre-qualification or the pre-approval? Pre-approval is always the better one. Um, a pre-qualification is what we did years ago um, when I first started out in the business. And 
it wasn't as common to have your credit run prior to purchasing. So we would ask the client, um, well, how much do you make and what are your monthly debts? Do you have a car payment? Do you have student loans? Do you ha- what's your minimum payments on your credit card? And we get all that verbally from the client. Even I, you know, who am real big on looking at credit every day and I know how much I pay in my bills, et cetera, I still may not know the exact answers to those for myself. So it's hard to get accurate information from a client. And then we calculate out what that person could afford based on the answers that they gave. When you do a pre-approval, many times you're collecting some documents, not always, but many times, especially if a person's self-employed. We want to be able to calculate their income based on their tax returns. Um, We are running a credit report, so we're getting accurate debt information from the credit report. We're getting accurate minimal payments. We can see if there's any student loans that are in deferment. We can see if there's any issues up front. And we're running their full application through an automated underwriting service. They call it a AUS, Automated Underwriting Service. And okay. these services are uh, sponsored by Fannie Mae. You've probably heard that name before. They, they buy loans out there. And Fannie Mae has a program called Desktop Underwriting. So that's the most common automated underwriting service and we'll run the whole file through there and we'll get um, a response uh, an answer you know whether or not the automated service feels that the client could be approved at that level and so when you get a pre-approval you know for me that it's been run through that service and given a stamp of approval now it's pre-approved it's not fully approved because we still need real human eyes to look at everything. But if I issue a pre-approval, chances are 99.999% the deal is going to close. Otherwise, I wouldn't give it to you. Exactly. So the difference, so the next stage after receiving that pre-approval, and I then would be able to take the client, show them the properties. Once they actually go through the process of putting in an offer on a home, it gets accepted, and we start that process. What are you needing after we actually have an offer on a home, an actual contract, or we call it agreement of sale? When I send that over to you, what is the next step that the buyer needs to do with you? Well, that's when we we set up an appointment to meet in person, typically. We can, in this day and age, also e-sign things, but I like to meet with clients face-to-face, especially because as you know, I work with a lot of first-time home buyers, and mm-hmm. this is the first time they're doing this, so they're going to have a lot of questions. There's a lot of documents that get signed, a lot of, a lot of documents that get signed. Right. But that's when I typically, um, and you know, and I can collect these documents in advance too. When we issue the pre-approval letter, it goes out with a separate list of documents that they want to start gathering. So depending on the type of loan they're doing, we may need two or three years of tax returns, the federal tax returns, um, especially if they are using the the Delaware State Housing Authority program that requires the last three years of tax returns. Um, We will collect two years of W-2 forms or 1099 forms if a person is self-employed or receives Social Security, disability, a pension. Uh, We get 30 days of paycheck stubs. So if someone's paid biweekly, we book at their last two. If they're paid every week, we collect their last four. 
um, we collect two months' worth of bank statements. And this is really important because <laughs> I always have to let people know we need all the pages of the bank statement. So if it says right. page one of five, even if page five is just that reconciliation page or copies of checks or something like that, we still need all the pages. Um, okay. that, that the lenders are sticklers for that. that. That's an important part of the process, to have all the pages on any document. Um, and then we also will collect a, a copy of their photo ID for the Patriot Act and we'll get um, other information at that time. Sometimes we need letters of explanation if there's um, large deposits to their accounts that are not payroll related or if they have a little something on their credit report that they need to explain. And that's when I like to sit down with the clients and listen to what their explanation is and you know they can dictate that to me and I can print that out for them to sign right on the spot. So let's go back to that large deposit statement. So when I have a, a buyer who has money that goes in, but they don't necessarily put, you know, the side job or the under-the-table job, that money in the account, but yet they want to use it to help purchase a home or go from 200000 to 250000 because what's available at 200000 is not to their liking, so they'll make a statement, you know, well, I have a side job and or it's not taxed, but basically what we call the mattress money, the money that is not accounted for. How do you go around that? What would you advise a client to do based on being able to use that money and or not? Yeah, that's the thing is, and, and there really is a lot of mattress money out there. With, with the recession that happened, a lot of people lost faith in, in some of the banks and, you know, they keep... They, they, it might even be legitimate money that came from their regular job, but maybe they cashed their paycheck or they, once it goes in the bank, they pull it out and they actually put it in a safe in their house. And that's right. all good. It's just a problem when they want to go. So the best advice that I would give, the first advice would be put the money in the bank now and wait two months, you know, wait to 61 days because we as lenders collect the last two bank statements. If it's been 61 days and we look at the last two bank statements and there are not any large deposits that we don't have to worry about figuring out where they came from, then it's considered, um, it's considered seasoned assets. A seasoned asset okay. is something that's been there for over 61 days, so it's not showing up as large deposits in the last two months. So um, it's been sitting for a while. It's been sitting for a while, and that's really the best <laughs> thing to do. Um, another thing that they can do is, um, you know, they can get gift money from a relative. Okay. And, you know, they can use, you're allowed to use gift money, but if they're going to get gift money from a relative, we do need to see the relative's bank statements. Um so sometimes that can pose an issue because, you know, especially when I first bought my house, I actually got a gift from my father, and he's very old school and did not want to show his bank statement because he said it was nobody's darn business. So, right, exactly. Um, you know, that happens a lot too, but everything is kept confidential. And, and just to kind of sidebar on that, when we do get bank statements from the buyers or from, you know, the donors if they're giving a gift, 
we do need to, as I said before, see all the pages. But the other thing is, is you can't black anything out on any documentation that you give your loan officers. So don't cross out or black out with a Sharpie the account number or, um, you, you know, on your tax returns. As much as it's, you know, you don't want to send over personal documents, but don't black out the Social Security number. Um, because we do need a document in its complete form. It can't have things crossed out or blacked out on it. Okay. Another question as we're getting close to the, our end time here at 7.30, but are buyers able to use or actually purchase a home going FHA more than once? So if I purchase a house FHA 2016, am I able to do another FHA loan? That's an awesome question, Andrea, because um, yes and no. Um, again, you can, re you can use FHA over and over and over again if you are selling the previous house or refinancing the previous loan into a different program, into a conventional loan, or if you sold the house and now you're buying a new one the same day using an FHA loan, that's fine. The only time you can have two or more FHA loans at the same time is if, they're in way far apart from each other. So in other words, um, they like to see that you live within 50 miles of where you work. So let's say you had to relocate from Delaware to um, Virginia, let's say, because your new job was in Virginia. And you have an FHA loan in Delaware, but you're encountering trouble selling your house or you don't want to make the offer contingent on the sale of your house or you decide you're going to rent that house out, you don't have enough equity in it. If your new job is in Virginia and you're moving to Virginia and you can qualify to have two FHA loans at the same time, then that's okay because it's far enough away. You wouldn't be able to commute from your house in Delaware to your job in Virginia. But if you are living in Wilmington and you have an FHA loan and you want to move down to Middletown and your job stays the same, let's say you work at Christianicare, or someplace in the middle, um, you could not have two FHA loans at the same time. That would not be allowed. The only time it's allowed, there's a rare time when you're up, when your family has gotten too big to fit in the house, and then you have to show evidence of that. Like maybe you had another kid or twins or something, and there's not enough room in the house. Then sometimes they'll allow you to have another FHA loan. Okay. All right. So, in wrapping up. I would say going FHA is a good thing. There's definitely grants and loans that are available, but sometimes those different programs will also affect the FHA rate that is available um, unless you're just doing a straight FHA loan. And being able to use FHA more than once, there is opportunity to be able to do that as well. So for me as a real estate professional, my best advice to my buyers and to the listeners who are out there, and I'm going to thank you in advance for listening, I will say the first step always to speak to a loan officer and start that process. The process is it'll, it'll go smoothly if you allow it to go smoothly. The loan officer is your friend. They're the ones that are going to help you purchase a home. They're the ones that you're borrowing the money from. So giving adequate and correct information and documentation and scanning things that are scanned correctly and sent over on time, that is something that needs to be done in order to help 
not only yourself, but me as your professional agent, to be able to move you forward with purchasing a home. So, Tracy, how can the buyers get in contact with you outside of doing a private message on Real Estate Real Talk on that Facebook page and or calling me? What is the best way that they can get in contact with you? I give everyone my cell phone number, um, and that's the best way. If I can't answer, I try to get back as soon as possible. And my cell number is 302-312-1866. They can also email me at Tracy B, and Tracy actually is spelled with an I-E, so Tracy and then the letter B at fairwaymc.com. Got you. Okay, so Tracy Bayicki, give her a call at 302-312-1866, and or you can email her. Definitely give me a call, Andrea Haritos with Keller Williams Realty, and my cell phone number is 302-354-4271. We're going to be doing this podcast on Mondays, um, every other week. The next podcast will be at the end of this month. And I also look forward to Sharon Hamilton, who will be hosting her first first podcast in May. And we have some great information based on her host that she will be um, introducing. And I just, again, want to thank all of you who have tuned in and are listening if you have any questions please pm or private message slash inbox me and i would love to answer your questions and i look forward to assisting you through the real estate process and again as my tagline says i truly care about your living arrangements thank you guys again for listening and i hope to hear from you soon thanks for tuning in for more content Visit us at the Coco Express Show dot com, Blog Talk Radio.